I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Music in My Life with me, Laura Wright. The show where we talk about the music we love so much, our relationship with that music and the role it plays in our life. What is it about music that taps into our emotions and why does it make us feel a certain way? Now this week's guest is no stranger to the world of music, whether that be writing, producing or performing. He has done it all. Mike Moran studied at the Royal College of Music and has since become professor of jazz piano at the college. And in 2007, he was awarded the Gold Badge of Merit from the British Academy of Songwriters and Composers. Mike has collaborated with some of the greatest musicians there have ever been, to name a few. Sir Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Robert Plant, Sir Cliff Bridget, Placido Domingo, Jose Carreras, Dionne Warwick. I mean, the list just goes on. It is incredible. In 1977, Mike represented the UK in the Eurovision Song Contest with a song he wrote in collaboration with Lindsay DePaul and their song that was called Rock Bottom. If you haven't listened to this, you absolutely have to. And perhaps most notably Mike worked a great deal with the late Freddie Mercury and their major collaboration was the album Barcelona which features Montserrat Cabaye and Freddie together. Now Mike welcome to the podcast it is such a pleasure to have you here today thank you so much for being my guest how are you? I'm all right Laura thank you very much it's really lovely to speak to speak to you and to uh, you know to sort of the uh... Uh, you know go back and recount a bit of my history a lot of which I've forgotten actually by the way it's really lovely to be on and it's a it's such a refreshing thing to do to do something other than you know wonder what you're going to buy for dinner or uh, whatever in, in lockdown it's a real relief from the tedium so thanks a lot no definitely it's such a lovely thing to be able to sort of take a trip down memory lane with you as well but of course you're someone who you know you still up until of course the the pandemic you're still performing now and I should mention how we met in terms of uh, through music I was stood there on stage on tour with Russell Watson and about to start you know rehearsing Barcelona and he just turns to me and says oh yeah we've got Mike on the piano today he wrote that and my my heart sank and then I've never been so nervous to then start singing in my life and that was my introduction to you and just I was astounded by just how wonderful and lovely you are as a person and you know I suppose I should ask um do do you miss performing at the moment I'm sure you do it must feel very strange do you know what Laura I mean like all of us it's kind of you know you forget what you forget what it's the most one of the most important things in your life if you're a musician is the is the is the you know the the opportunity and the ability to go out and play in front of people and to you know and to and to and have that kind of connection with other musicians it's such an important thing and you know i think with all of us whatever you do whether you finish up you know with your life uh, you know in a recording studio or whatever Basically, what we're all joined for is to go on stage and entertain people. And that's, that's, it's such an important thing. I mean, you know, I've been doing it since I was an eight year old kid performing live in front of audiences. And suddenly to have that kind of taken away from you is just like, it's just awful. It's, uh, uh, I mean, there's so many of us in our industry in that position. And it's like, um, it's just, it's just awful not to be able to go out and entertain people. You know, not for not just for their 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 pleasure, but for your own pleasure as well. Yeah. And you must feel the same thing as well. It's particularly affected singers badly, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think you make a really good point there where, you know, it's of course that you go on stage and you live for that feeling of of connecting with the audience, but also it's for you personally. It's your passion. It's what you love doing. And, and you mentioned, you know, that you were performing from such a young age. How did you, for people who don't know, you know, how did you get into to p- playing the piano or singing, you know, all those kind of things? How did you first get started? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I have an 11-year-old brother uh, sorry, an eleven year older than me, brother. Not eleven year old brother. Eleven year older than me, and he was a he was a piano player. And uh, I I kind of I grew up standing at the end of the keyboard watching him play, and I kind of picked things up really quite easily when I was you know sorry, you know four or five years old. And it's my brother that said to my mum, "Look, really, what you should do is get him some piano lessons because he's annoying me intensely. He needs to be entertained with the piano." So um, so um, God bless them, my folks, my folks who you know didn't have much money at all but we did have a piano in the house typical irish house um and um the, we they, they sorted me out with piano lessons from the age of about four and a bit and five and i i i started doing local competitions and music festivals i think i did my first recital when i was about eight years old in the royal hall at harrogate i remember it well so um and then it progressed from that and it was it, you know the great thing about um, you know, it's a bit weird sometimes being the only musician in a, you know, uh, in your local area, if you like. I mean, the kids used to knock on the door. You come out to play football. No, 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 I've got to do my practice and that kind of stuff. So you kind of live a slightly different life to everybody else. Uh, but the, the the one good thing about it is that I never had really any doubts at school about what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. You know, I think a lot of kids, or most kids, I think, go through this angst of what am I going to be? What's my education for? What's, where does my talent lie? And it was pretty obvious. I mean, I couldn't do anything else anyway, so it's pretty fortunate that I was reasonably good at it. So uh, um, it, it was, you know, I just kind of went through school as being the piano player, playing for assembly and that kind of stuff, playing the, you know, playing for the religious services and, you know, the, you know the, all the amateur shows that went on. And uh, it was never really, there's never really any kind of doubt about which path I was going to take. And I, and I, I left school um, when, you know, before the sixth form and went into uh, a local music college in Huddersfield and then got a scholarship to Royal College. So it was kind of, you know, and I grew up doing two things as well because my brother was a, both a classical player and used to play jazz and rock and roll and stuff. So I kind of, you know, I can, you know in the way that if you grow up in a household that have got two languages, the kids speak both languages and kind of, you know, uh, you know they, they think in two, li- in, in two ways. Uh, but I think the same thing applies to... Um, um, you know, music. I, I I grew up with both disciplines, classical music discipline and uh, and the jazz and rock and roll thing. So for me, it was a it was an easy step to you know to go to college as a like a, a concert piano player, if you like. But uh, as soon as I got to college, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. And I got a job in in a night. I was playing Ronnie Scott's, you know, and and things like that. But also in the a lot of the nightclubs in London at the time. And so um, I would get home at like like four in the morning and go to college at ten. So you can tell what my first year was like. But it, uh, but um, but what that did was it kind of gave me that um, that that kind of um, a little light to, to, to the path I was going to take. And I, I I decided that I wasn't going to you know there is the, to be a soloist in classical music, as you know, is is a tremendously difficult thing to accomplish. There aren't that many when you work it all out. And there were so many genius piano players around. And I thought, well, you know, am I going to really be good enough to compete with them on a concert level? Probably not. But I was, more than that, I was I was sort of more interested in playing jazz and playing rock music. I mean, London was then the epicenter of everything when I was at college. It was the, it was the center of music. Everybody, all the Americans, no, not just the Americans, but, but people worldwide wanted to come and get the same sounds that we got in our, our studios. They wanted to use our musicians. You know, uh, uh, English groups were, and, and English artists were, you know, top of the charts all over the world. It was the center of fashion. It was the center of theater center of you know you name it everybody that was did anything you know seemed to be in london at the time so it was a logical thing for me to kind of go that way and and to get involved in 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 the more commercial side of things and i you know i was kind of lucky because uh, uh, largely through a a college connection i got invited to play in a recording session uh you know, and my first one, would you believe, was at Abbey Road for a lady. Yeah, you know, so I, and, you know, you know, my friend phoned me up. He said, yeah, you, you know, 
you remember me, I was at college with you uh, a couple of years ago and uh, he left early as a composer. And he said, um, I've got some job as, a job as an arranger, I'm arranging for this album and uh, just wondered if you kind of, interested if you're free to come and play on the sessions so i scanned through my snow white diary and went mm, yes i think i'll be able to make that uh, and uh, and i turned up and and, and there were uh, you know legendary musicians the herbie flowers on bass barry morgan on drums alan parker on guitar all the guys that were in the, the group then that later to form blue mink but um the the, the album was uh, a, a girl called julie covington and Julie Covington was uh, was in in the original think, think, series called Rock Follies, and um, she also was the first person to record "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina," which we did on the session. And um, um, yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting piece of uh, knowledge. There. But um, she, um, the, the producer, was a guy called Don Paul, and because I was kind of you know a new young person, I could read and I could sort of you know play different styles and that kind of stuff. He he really uh, never used anybody else after that, you know, on his sessions for for like keys, and and you know when she's it was a diff, very difficult industry to get into the the the, the studio being a studio musician then it's a little different now it's not really a profession anymore but then you know I could work three sessions a day seven days a week three hundred and sixty five days a year, and 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 uh, got the opportunity. That's what, you know, the CV kind of goes, it's this, 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 this. But a lot, a lot of these people, you know, I just met courtesy of being invited to play on their sessions. And, uh, but I, and think, I think that's really important, though, for people to hear that because so often in the music industry, or in fact in any industry, you know, we think that there's a certain path you have to take. But really, like you said, you know, it's always those things where someone says, do you want to come along to this or do you want to do this gig? You never know what will come out of that and you never know the people you'll meet along the way. And I think that's really nice for people to to hear because it's it's inspiring and it means that there is that promise, especially at the moment. Yeah. And of course, what that also did is, you know, when you if you're if you're working in that kind of environment all the time, other things start to happen. Then 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 you get an artist who, you know, you might have played the piano for, you know, on a couple of albums will go, why did you do arrangements? And, and of course, you are, you know, I said, yes, of course I do. Well, I'd never yeah. done it in my life. You know? <laughs> so, so I you know, rapidly go home on a crash course. How the hell do I do this? And I ask, you know, oh, do you produce? Of course I do. Do you write film music? Yes, of course I do. The answer is to anybody that's listening to this, just say yes and figure just it out. Say- well let's hang on so let's talk about you know 1977 performing in the Eurovision Song Contest we have to for many reasons because before we started recording you mentioned about hair now lockdown and haircuts are you know very much a thing of 2020 and 2021 but also can we just talk about your hair in this performance as well because I need to know how you get that kind of volume in your hair (laughs) (laughs) well I did it was sort of a bit pre-Raphaelite wasn't it at that time but I mean (laughs) I don't know I just had loads of hair and it was it was kind of a nice natural color i don't know why i started putting stuff on it and firming it and that kind of stuff but but like um, paint paint the picture for people who haven't seen this video there's you know you and Lindsay on the piano right and your face that you're sort of back to back aren't you i know look at if you look closely at that have you seen the shades i'm wearing my initial i have room? of course I i've know. seen them like they are epic they are amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh we are so young darling <laughs> and you were saying yeah, that you've, you've had yeah. to cut your hair in lockdown as well uh, oh yeah oh yeah that's another thing because lockdown came because none of us could go to the hairdressers could we a year ago and so i and i said to i said to linda my wife oh i can't be bothered to you know you know even try and figure this out can you cut my hair but my my wife has got a, a little business where she you know, she she grooms dogs as you know and she said well i'll do it i'll cut it for you so i went into the dog grooming place and I sat on the table and <laughs> the dog grooming table and she cut me with the you know the clippers and all that so and I, I kind of through the you know when the lockdown first started I thought well I, you know I can't color it and I thought well there's little bits of gray coming through whatever that I, what whatever fast forward about six weeks and I look like Santa's elderly uncle <laughs> and it's not just gr- lockdown it's not just gray it's white but it's white all over. So it's kind of, um, you know, it's a bit of a shock, really, but ne- nevertheless. <laughs> I love it, though. I think we're we're all feeling that way anyway. We've all done, I've done the home hair dye situation as well recently. And oh, yeah, 
and you think, uh, you know, oh, this will be fine. And it just it turns out to be an absolute mess. But we've all been there and it's uh, hopefully soon it'll be a thing of the past and we'll all be enjoying a trip to the hairdressers. I'll stay the silver fox. I like it, to be fair. I can see you being a silver fox. It's good. It's good. You know what? Actually, my gran, uh, her hair turned white when she was about 18, I think, or 19. And then no one ever knew how old she was because she just always had white hair. So there are positives to it, definitely. My dad's side of the family, because they're all, they're all Irish, and, and they, they don't have grey hair. It is actually white hair. Yeah, yeah. My gran's Irish too. So maybe, maybe it's an Irish thing. It's the maybe heritage. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Um, tell, tell me a bit about going back to obviously when performing you know we were all out there touring we were doing our thing on stage um, and then I remember you telling me a little bit about the the Freddie Mercury track a sort of long lost song that was released in 2019 called Time Waits for No One it was I mean it's if people haven't heard it you really it's such a beautiful piece but how you know how did that come about because you were obviously integral to that whole that whole thing well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it harks back to the first time I, f- I first met Freddie, actually, and, that, and I was doing, I was musical director on a show called Time in the West End, and um, there were all sorts of people. We did the album first. The, the, the show was produced by Dave Clark, and uh, the album was, um, uh, we did the album first before we did the show. And basically, the, the bunch of songs that were in the show, we got different people to record. Stevie Wonder did one, Cliff did one, uh, Dion Warwick did one, and, you know, the list goes on. And uh, there were two left to uh, to to fill in at the you know at the end of it. One was the title song "Time," and the other was a song called "In My Defense." And David phoned me up one day. He said, "Look," he said, "I'm hunting on these last two songs." He said, "I think I think I might be able to get Freddie Mercury to do them." And I took a deep breath and said, "Wow, that really would be something else." And but it, that's exactly what happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. And David, um, Fred, Freddie was living in um, uh, in Munich at the time, and uh, and he he came over to to London to you know he would agreed to do the songs. He he'd heard the demos and liked them, and uh, and David said to him, "Look, you know, um, um, would you come over to London and record them?" And Freddie said, "Well, I'm in the middle of something in Munich, and I've got my own situation here. I'd rather do it over there." And David said, "Well, look." we've done all these things in a certain way with Mike. And he said, look, I'd like to try, try, try and, you know, introduce you to Mike and see if you can work together. And um, uh, if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll pay for it all to be done again in Munich. So, you know, there we are. And, um, and but anyway, Fred said, look, I'll, I'll come over and, and we'll meet and whatever. And, uh, well, God bless David, because that introduced me to Mr. Mercury, who, who I was with for the rest of his life. So, um, um, that, you know, I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to David. But um, the, first, the, the first thing we did was the um, song called In My Defence, which I think we're going to look at later. But Yeah, no, let's talk about it now, because this is, you know, um, this is one of your songs you've chosen. Yeah, it reminds you of good times. And tell me, tell me about this song in, in My Defence, because I just think, yeah, you must have some incredible stories. And you've mentioned the musical time, but tell me more about this song in particular and what it means to you well right, this was the first song i ever i've ever recorded with fred and um the, 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 there is that there is a story behind it it's, it's part tragedy part comic really uh, <clears throat> in that the day before the session it was a sunday and i was um, i was driving through the leafy lanes of hertfordshire where i lived at the time and i went around a um a bend in my car and, and i was hit i had a head-on crash with a truck who was on the wrong side of the road um, yeah, and it wrote my car, it wrote my car off. Um, I was trapped in the car. The guy got out of the truck, looked in the window, and ran off. And uh, he ran off. Yeah, and I was trapped in the car. And there's a whole load of people following that. This guy had apparently hit parked cars and whatever beforehand. And uh, fortunately, uh, well, fortunately for me, the impact was uh, at the outskirts of a small village. And they dragged me out of the car, called the ambulance. And I was taken to um, Hemel Hospital. Um, and, and, you know, basically, I, I was checked over and I, I was a bit sore, but the, the, the car saved my life, to be frank. The bags went off and all that kind of stuff. As it transpired, you know, I was okay, but I was pretty beaten up. And um, someone came and picked me up about, uh, about you know, 10 o'clock in the evening. And I got home and I thought... and. I phoned David up and I said, "Look, David, I want to alarm you, but I've just had a, you know, a pretty, a pretty sort of hefty crash, um, and just to let you know, I'm okay, but and I'll be there tomorrow, but whatever." 
And he said, oh, I'll tell Freddie, we'll put it off. I said, no, you cannot do that. This is Freddie Mercury. He's just flown over from, you know, um, uh, from Munich to London to do this. I don't want to offer any excuses. So let's let's just see how it goes. It'll be fine. I mean, I, I think you had a valid excuse, to be fair. But I think I'd say the same as well. I'd be like, no, it, you know, we must do this. <laughs> yeah, but don't forget at that time, Laura, I was full of drugs. <laughs> and, I, and, I didn't, and I sort of felt, well, I'll be all right. And I went to I went to bed and when I woke up in the morning and I tried to get out of bed and I couldn't move. I was going to say, did you feel absolutely horrendous when you woke I, up? I, yeah. And I, and, and I, I just raised my hand and I'm sort of feebly shouting downstairs for some sort of assistance. And, and Linda came up and I said, look, you've got to help me out of bed. I, not, not least of all, I wanted to go for a wee, but it hurts. So, but it transpired. I'd broken four ribs at the top. The seat belt had broken four ribs, and my wrist had swollen up to a, you know a reasonable size. I could still move everything, but it really was quite painful. Anyway, I sort of gradually, you know, we gra- gradually got me out of bed, and David sent a, a car to pick me up. And look, t- long and short of it was, I met Freddie, and it was like a meeting of force of nature. And uh, we just hired a, a bass player and a drummer. That's that's the way we always did things, or either that or just piano. But um, so we started to work on the arrangement. And of course, the adrenaline kicked in. And I felt just fabulous, really. You know, I was kind of intoxicated with the, you know, with, with you know, having Freddie Mercury bellowing in my ears. And, and the song, we, the, the arrangement was taking shape. And um, we worked on it for, a, a, you know, a few hours and, and then started to record. And, you know, you kind of, you know, as well as anybody that, you, you know, when you're, re- when you're running through things, you get that one take, which is kind of, the one and you all know it's the right one and we did this this, if when we play my defense it's fairly piano piano heavy and we went to listen to everybody in the box yeah come and listen it's great so we went and listened to it and and fred listened he said wow it's wonderful darling i love it it's fabulous magnificent and he looked at me and he said i just think we could just go out and do one more and you know you could just give him more of that flashy stuff you're doing already and so off he went because i'd relaxed and think it was all over oh yeah I, all your adrenaline had worn yeah. off by now yeah, right suddenly went out of it and i just thought oh my god i must have looked awful at that point dave clark said look freddie i've got to tell you this now you know we love the tape we've got we, we can go out and try another but mike had the, he explained i'd had this accident and fred looked at me in a very concerned manner he said oh darling he said he looked at peter freestone his, his assistant he said phoebe darling give her a large large vodka i mean a large one and some of those pills in my bag then send her out we'll be all right so he went out and did another one because it wasn't as good and and we use the uh, we we use the the original one, but as you can hear, um, it, it is it is quite a Fred got quite excited, and it's it's a raw, it's a raw sort of vocal from Fred, and he wanted to do it again, and and I said to him at the time, I said, look, this is just magnificent. It's you know you're you're busting a gut with it. It sounds it sounds like you're really working very hard on this song, and it you know it didn't need any any refinements really. Anyway, it turned into this. Um, the thing, the, the the thing that went on the record, it was done differently in the show, which is which leads on to the, the time thing. The big, the original uh, time recording we did, which is the second song on on, on those sessions I did with Fred, um, it, it became a big sort of like a queenie production, you know, with big, you know, all the, the Brian May guitars and the big chorus, yeah, sort of, yeah, all and all of that kind of dense harmony and and bells and whistles. So Fred, you know was absolutely gifted with many things but vocal harmonies his vocal harmonies were just absolutely ex- exquisite so all that and david dave clark said for years he'd said oh one regret i have about all this he said we never did a version with freddie of the way it was in the show and in the, in the show it was just a it was a very stripped back version so i said well okay i'll have a look at it and um we went back to the original and of course we couldn't really use the original because it was done in a particular fashion. So, um, we we refashioned it a bit and I, I, we edited out all the big sort of guitar solos and that kind of thing and stripped it back to just piano and voice. And that's what went out. Fortunately also, um, we found a couple of cans of unexposed negative film at Abbey road, uh, which we, which then, uh, were turned into a high definition video, and it's the only thing of Freddie's that's ever been released in high definition. 
because we had the negative, we could do what we wanted with it. So, and it looks like it was kind of filmed yesterday. And of course it sounds like it was recorded yesterday. So that's how that happened. Um, well, I think also it's testament, you know, to you, to Freddie, to everyone in that room as well, that really, you know, and this is what this podcast is about, is the emotions that music create for us. And this is a music, you know, the music in my defence and time are just, they they have stood the test of time and they they still sound so good today. And that, that really is the sign of a great song. It's great yeah, music. It yeah, yeah, you're right. But, uh, you know, the... the for me, it is it's one of those things that it does bring back the great memories because it was it was one of the most significant passages of time in my life, both artistically and personally. So um, it means an awful lot to me, which is why I picked in my defence. And if anybody's, you know, if when you listen to it, you'll you'll just bear in mind that I was in huge amounts of pain when this was done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's have a little listen to some of it now and we'll try and not remember yeah that you'd you know come out of a, a pretty heavy situation on the roads the day before this is in my defense Love is It's the, the harmonic changes as well for me that are just so beautiful. I know. There we are. <laughs> Dear old Fred. Yeah. <laughs> does that make you smile? Yeah, it always does. Yeah, it always does. It, when it, look, I mean, apart from the, apart from the, you know, the joy of working with, you know, with Fred, um, you know, the, the personal side of it, you know, his home was beautiful, you know a gay man with loads of money and exquisite taste. The house was a look, it was just fantastic. And it was a joy to be in. And, and he was fun. He was just, he was just great company. And, you know, absolutely. The house was a home, not a museum, you know, great memories. Yeah, definitely. Let's, um, let's go to this song that you've chosen that cheers you up. Now this is, um, yeah, released 1978, you know, it was really successful, reached number one in the U S um, September's, you know, it's such a great song by Earth, Wind and Fire. But tell me, for for you personally, what it means. Well, look, I mean, you can't, you cannot listen to this song and be miserable because it's such a happy, joyful thing. Brilliant musicianship, great lyrics. It's just, it's just a feel good kind of thing. But uh, I do remember because I've actually I've got an Earth, Wind and Fire story. When I when I was touring in America. The first tour I ever did in America was with a, a lady called Maggie Bell, and uh, the the band the band formerly was known as Stone the Crows, and uh, then became the Maggie Bell Band, and we went to America in in the sort of mid seventies, uh, and uh, there was an album with, which was done with Atlantic, which was produced by a guy called Jerry Wexler. Now Jerry Wexler at the same time was Aretha Franklin's producer, and so we did this kind of soul R and B album. And uh, and then spent nearly a year touring the United States. I and mean, when we played every, near, we played everywhere. Laura. You had to do that then, you know. You had to, you had to go, you know. You had. Well, you, you say, but you, that's actually really interesting for people who might not know that. Yeah, talk a little bit maybe about you know the graft that goes into when you released an album like that. So oh, you literally yeah. went everywhere. Yeah, we well, did because uh, you know, particularly in a place like America, because there's no national radio in America; it's all regional. And, uh, you know, unless you get on ABC or, or uh, NBC, the, the whole of America does not see you. They see you in bits. And so what happened to us was um, um, we had a regional hit in, uh, in the southern states. Uh, we used to call them radio hits. But you, you, then you just have to go to that place and play a, a, com a concert there. And then all the surrounding radio stations would pick you up and you kind of build up a tour like that so we toured I mean we toured just everywhere on a bus it was just the, the best fun our manager at the time was a guy called Peter Grant whose only other act was Led Zeppelin our, we used to support all these great groups uh, all over all over the United States I mean our first gig was supporting the Doobie Brothers and then we we played with Zeppelin the Who in Madison Square Garden so we, it was it was a joyful experience but we also played all the places that you know um the big acts didn't play 
Um, I remember we we played in a club in um, in Memphis, and our opening act was a young chap called Billy Joel. But we had a regional hit um, in 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 particularly in Georgia uh, with one of the tracks from the album, and it was a kind of soulful R and B kind of thing. But anyway, we had this regional hit, and and after we'd finished this just about a year touring, our manager said, oh, great, uh, you're not going home next week. You're going to do another six weeks on the road with, uh, with, with this band. And the band was Earth, Wind & Fire, who, of course, were not really known then. Uh, there were three brothers. They'd just become Earth, Wind & Fire, and they were on this kind of tour of the southern states. So we turned up in the Fox Theatre in Atlanta, got to the stage door, and the doorman looked at us and, and in a blank astonishment. She said, you're white. Yeah, I was going to – I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, thought we were a black band. And so we we, we kind of – we, we, we went and did, the, did our sound check and everything. Uh, you know, the audience were going crazy and, you know, they, they'd all heard the, the, the song on the radio. And, and the curtains opened and it went quiet. And it was one of those awful moments where the audience, this rowdy, lovely audience, just went, what is going on here? And they looked at us and we looked back at them and we carried on playing – and then you know a couple of the a couple of the guys from the Earth Wind and Fire came on with tambourines and stuff and started playing and so they kind of looked at us and went oh well maybe they're okay so by the end of our set you know we kind of won them over a little bit. It shows though you know when you hear music and you don't know who's singing it or performing it it's good good music is good music at the end of the day. But um, they then said um, listen do you want to watch our set we'd never seen really or heard of them before. And so they, they, in the interval, they moved us out into the audience. They moved all these people out of the front row and let us sit down there, which is another embarrassing moment, by the way. So, so there we are, you know, listening. And the theatre went dark, and then this voice came. First there was the earth, boom, 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 boom. Then there was wind, tornado. Boom, boom. And then there was fire, and all these pyros went off with fireworks. The, the curtains opened, and this band went... And we went, oh, my God, these guys are good. You know, it was such a... Can you imagine seeing them not for the first time in full flow? It was just amazing. So they became kind of friends, and we toured for a bit. And, and they, they always cheer me up, which is why I picked this song. I love that. I love that. Such a good story as well to to be in that room, like what people would give now to be in that space, to hear that sound and, you know, and not have so much health and safety that you could have, you know, fireworks going off as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a great bit. In, do you remember, did you see Spinal Tap? Yes. Yeah. You know that bit where they're all down on their luck and they get wrongly booked at this sort of hillbilly place with the cowboy. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit like that when you kind of look at them, what? Really awkward moment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, such a good story. Let's have a little listen to some of uh, September now and we'll talk some more about, about the track and the band. Here it comes. Oh, it's so hard not to move and dance. I'm like moving around. <laughs> and you know the great thing about them. Have you ever seen them live? Did you ever see? No, them I haven't. I wish. I wish well, I had. You know, they used to do magic tricks as well. They used to get illusions. And Verdine White used to wear these kind of real seventies kind of outfits. Is the only way I can describe it. But it was, you know, it was. It looks comical now when you watch it. But they used to, you know, they used to disappear in boxes and then reappear on the other side of the stage and they had these illusions going on and this marvellous kind of musicianship, these fantastic brass lines and that great kind of funk kind of style they had, great vocals, you know, it's just, a, it was just the perfect package. Definitely. And I think, you, yeah, you mentioned, you know, there's there was lots of different genres of music being mixed in there as well. You've got soul, funk, jazz, like, you know, then you've got the disco, Afro pop, like all of those different genres. And also, I think, you know, when I knew you'd chosen this song, I was looking into the band a bit more and seeing that they used really interesting instruments as well. They used a kalimba, like a conga, a, um, 
a kalimba if people don't know is like it's like a wooden box with met- long metal kind of rods on it that you would play with your thumb quite small and it just really unique sounds and I think that's something that I really miss now is that it, I feel like music now is so focused on the vocal and the production but this it feels like I don't know it feels like a time when perhaps the live side of things was just you know so so good and and also you you know you must have experienced that with Freddie but also when you've experienced live music like you know you didn't really get so many takes it was like a whole take through right it wasn't broken down so much yeah yeah I was amazed I was amazed really you know uh, when the digital age came uh, and to see the way that they they, they recorded operas they, you know in like tiny little bits yeah together rather than you know which is and I think it must be hard to then like you've talked about you know when you were writing or arranging and you get into a flow and you just the the music kind of starts to happen and and now I feel like songs are so broken down into such small sections and we get obsessive over tiny moments but I don't know do you feel like that's something that maybe has been uh, is sad that's been lost from music I do because a lot a lot of the time a lot of the times you know you kind of go it's the, it's the odd things that happen sometimes that are not planned and you kind of go, oh, wow, is that, oh, no, we, we really screwed that up. And then you listen to it go, actually, it's quite nice. Um, I remember doing a cover album when I was a studio musician. I remember doing a, we used to do cover albums, you know, uh, uh, you know for these, uh, when the charts came out, then you'd do, the, it's like all the Now albums now, but they used to do, um, we used to do like at the end of the month, uh, uh, all the top hits that were in that, you know, been in the, in the charts that month. And then they would be released uh, a week later on some, sort of cheap vinyl record label but uh, so they were all done they were all exact copies and I remember I remember we were doing one and it was a it was a, I can't remember which which kind of number it was but the percussionist in the um in the booth said you know the, uh, the, he said to the producer do you want me to play it exactly like it is on the part so um so the producer said yeah yeah exactly like it is on the part he said well the part's wrong because on the record, I made a mistake. So, do you want it with the mistake or without the mistake? <laughs> I love that. And it, you know, and it's, uh, but but you know, it's not just mistakes. But I mean, it is that it is that general thing of, you know, I get so tired of listening to things that are quantized, you know, and and everything's perfect. It doesn't sound natural a lot of the time, you know. And it, and it doesn't emulate what then you see on stage when it is live, you know, and actually that that isn't what you would hear live and you would hear little, whether it's a mistake or whether it's something that happens differently. And that's what's great about touring is that every night is different and every time you sing a song, it's different and, and you find more in a piece of music. And I, I do, I think it is, I think it's amazing what we can do technically with music now. It's incredible, but I do find it sad sometimes as well that there are those moments and I live for those moments you know as do you the performer that's what that's what you want and you you'll come off and you'll say that was that was fucking amazing yeah, it's, it's you not, don't know why it's not the best feeling you yeah just, and everybody knows they've done a good show you know exactly and and you wouldn't go through it and go well that note was wrong you'd just be like no that felt great it was it was really good or you, or you um, come up thinking you made a real you know sort of mess of some bit of it and, and nobody notices yeah yeah exactly <laughs> my mum my mum always says to me she's like have a good first note and a good end note and everyone won't remember the rest of it it's fine <laughs> Hi, it's Ben Bidwell here, otherwise known as the Naked. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Professor, I'm popping up to say the brand new series of the Naked Professors podcast is now live. We're all about having deep and vulnerable discussions about what's really going on and how people are really feeling and dealing with the challenges in their lives. Each episode features a roundtable of incredible guests. You can expect to hear things like this. You know, the father I was a year ago is different to the father I am now. Past months have been more up and down than I've ever experienced. My stress levels have been elevated since the show came out. I've been working really hard to try and hold the good and the bad in my life at the moment. These conversations are more important now than ever before. So if you want to tune in, then subscribe to the Naked Professors podcast wherever you found this one. Let's um, let's talk about your iconic love song and also a song that screams family to you. And there's we've got two versions of this song here, but this is tell me about the the Harry Connick Jr. version of um, It Had to Be You. I'll tell you why it's important. I mean. Um... My, my whole family have got a huge love affair with the island of Ibiza because uh, I first went there. Actually, the first performance of Barcelona was actually uh, uh, was then called the Coup Club in Ibiza in 1987. It then became privilege. After after I first went to the island, my my daughter was um, about sort of four months old. Rolled it after going on an aeroplane anyway. So so the family came across and we spent time there. And then we spent every year there for, you know, the next 20-odd years. And uh, we used to rent a, a, a fabulous house in the south of the, uh, south of the island before we actually fought, uh, bought a place later on. But um, this house in the south of the island we rented, and it was on the side of a hill, and it looked over the island of Formentera. And it's, the view is just absolutely beyond belief. It's so gorgeous. And the first time we arrived there, we arrived there kind of, you know, at night. So we drove up this, you know, unmade road, not really knowing what was at the top, got to the place. Everybody was tired, went to bed. We got up in the morning and, and the view outside was just fabulous, like a movie. And I thought, I need some music. And there was a, an old boombox on the terrace with two CDs on it. One was Gladys Knight's Greatest Hits, and the other was when the, the, all the music from when, when Harry met Sally. I was going to say, was there a link to the film in this? Yeah. So I, I just grabbed this CD and put it on, and the first thing that came on was this fabulous, like, Broadway introduction of this big band, and it looked and it looked and sounded like a movie set, and the whole family and friends linked arms and sang along with it and looked at this, and it's every time we went back, this was the first thing we did was put this track on, and we still do actually, so it's got very special family memories, and you know, and it's a great song and it's a great singer. There are great versions of it, and the Sinatra version's great. Um, the 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 other version which I love is uh, which I think I told you about was the. Uh, Michael Bublé and Barbara Streisand. Oh, so good. Die for. It's just I so know. beautiful. Um, and, you know, as a love song, it's, it's part of that great American songbook. Lyrically, has there ever been a better love song written? Like, it's just perfect, you know. It's, and it's just that fabulous big band arrangement. It's just so beautiful. Let's have a listen to some of it now and let's go back to that moment you were, you know, looking across that incredible landscape you know, and there's just this this wonderful introduction to such a great piece of music. Let's go there now. Let's have a listen to it. Had to be you. Never 
Are you singing well, along? Well, that's a beer in the fact of 50. <laughs> oh, it's so gorgeous. And I think also what's really interesting is you talk about that where, you know, there was this this old boombox and you had minimal kind of options of music and it was just that moment in time for you, but also the music blaring out. And I think, you know, I always talk a lot to my guests about whether the, how they listen to music is important to them. Like, you know, you strike me as someone who, yes, you might record with headphones on when you're in the studio, but has music always been something that's been out loud for you not in headphones oh yes music's got to be loud I hate background music so it's always the focus for you it's got to be yeah. you know if you're listening to a song you're there and you're kind of present I don't like it playing in restaurants when I'm eating you know at a, at a subliminal level when you kind of what it becomes annoying you know um, I'll remember yeah. that when you come around for dinner I'll turn the music off <laughs> <in the background. laughs> turn the music up darling yeah always, my family just always on me turn it down I said look if I'm listening to it I'll go and listen to it in private loud you know uh, there we are. and tell me and tell me about you know you mentioned briefly there as well the other version of this I mean uh, you know Michael Bublé incredible artist but also Barbara Streisand like I I went and saw her live I think it was 2019 in Hyde Park and and she came on stage and she started singing. And just even from the first note, I was like, she's still got it. How? How does she, you know, it's incredible because no matter how much you try to, uh, as a performer, stay the same as, as the years go by, your voice does change. But for, I don't know what it is about her. She's absolutely remarkable. And one, and one other thing, I've got a slight Barbara Streisand. It's the only one I can, I mean, I did see her live, not that time, but the time before when she came in, when, um, um, uh, when was it now? Probably in the early 2000s. And she did a couple of concerts at Wembley. But um, I actually did a little bit of work on the film Yentl as a studio musician, because it was recorded in London. You know, she wasn't there, but, you know, I always say, well, I, yes, I've worked with Barbara Streisand, but uh, I have <laughs> but but uh, you know the the other great thing is that she's such a, a a fabulous actress um and if you if you look at this uh the michael if you there's a great thing if you you can google it michael buble and 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 uh barbara streisand michael's christmas show yes was, yes 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 i've seen this it's so good isn't it just glorious yeah, absolutely. And they've both got like, um, they've both got tuxes on and she just, yeah. you know, someone who is known for being glamorous, but then she rocks this tuxedo yeah. and makes it glad and her hands as well yeah. are just, oh, yeah. it's incredible. But it's just, I mean, but it's just, a, you know, it should be compulsory viewing for everybody, really. I agree. It's, <laughs> it's just beautiful. There we are. Big yeah, fan. it's such a great piece. In fact, let's, we can have a little listen to some of that version now. This is from her album Partners, and this was the th a casual 34th album from The Superstar released in 2014. So this is Michael Bublé and Barbara Streisand singing It Had To Be You. With all your faults, I love you still. It had to be you. Marvelous you. It had to be you. All right, let's go. Oh, so good. Oh, oh it's glorious. I'm in heaven. <laughs> it's just fab. You can watch the, there's it on YouTube. You can watch the making of that as well uh, the, in the studio. It's really good. Fantastic orchestral arrangement, by the way, as well. You know. oh, so good. And tell, you know, is it what happens that you'd know more than me musically, but when the band goes into almost, is it like half time where it gets kind of feels slower and it feels bigger? Yeah, that's oh. right. It's, it's just, okay. it's just, uh, yeah, it's very Hollywood, isn't it? Sorry, very Broadway, not Hollywood, very Broadway. Beautiful. It's good, it's good to hear Barbara having a go kind of singing like a jazz singer as well. But she can do anything. She can do anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like you say, you know, someone who it's not often you find someone who is incredible on stage, on screen, live, recorded, you know. And I think yeah, Lady Gaga did an amazing uh, version of A Star Is Born. But for me, that, you know, Barbara Streisand is the only one. And um, we're on to your last song choice now, which is makes me really sad. <laughs> um, this is your what we call kind of a hype song or something that, you know, pumps you up a little bit. So tell me about um, Aerosmith's Walk This Way and what, what it means to you. Well, look, you see, I, you know, one of my other sort of I've been, I, my mongrel CV when I was kind of involved with heavy metal bands and heavy rock bands. And there's a lot of my life spent around that 
that kind of music. But they've got great players, great singers, fabulous fans. It's just great fun. And, you know, it's uh, it's just an, an essential part of my kind of musical upbringing. But, um, yeah, I kind of, <laughs> with Aerosmith, but, you know, you watch Aerosmith in videos and they are naughty boys, right? You know, you know, you know when you look, you think you guys have just had the best time. And, um, and, and, and this walk this way is just one of those things. And, you know, you can, it's just... If you want pump it up music, you can drive to it, you can do your workout to it, you can sing along with it, you can dance, do the dad dancing around the living room, all that kind of stuff. It's just fantastically exciting stuff. And it just reminds me of, you know, that kind of the joy of heavy rock music when it's done with tongue in cheek like they do particularly. It's fabulous. And it's just, um, it's just good. And you have to listen to it loud people okay I see so people need to turn it up when we when we play some this I tell you what do you you know we talked briefly beforehand about how sort of how life is and you're doing a, helping with a bit of homeschooling and things like that maybe this is you know the music lesson is turning this up loud perhaps uh, well absolutely right yeah absolutely with some some dad dancing or grandpa yeah, dancing yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's um yeah let's crank it up and have a listen to some of walk this way here it comes <laughs> Are you going to go and like do a workout or go and drive the car now? <laughs> <laughs> no, have a cup of tea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe dear. it's time for that first glass of wine. No, it's a bit early, isn't it? I was going to say, no, we can get away with that. In a few minutes, we'll tip past midday. That's acceptable, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> Especially in lockdown. I think we're all there with you. Um, but yeah, you know, released in 1975. But then, of course, we've got the, we talked about the run DMC version as well yeah. uh, in 1986, which has got that, that, guitar rift at the start hasn't it which it's great um, if you watch the video that is so funny it's it's just it's just great fun tell people about the video that you love so much it's it's kind of it's kind of run dmc a a kind of recording and then uh aerosmith are in the in the in the room next door making a lot of heavy metal noise and they're banging on the wall at each other and you know and and then they start this kind of uh little musical argument which, which and actually both. it's but it's true like in the sense as well that when you used to rehearse and you know again something that isn't happening now you would go into a studio or a rehearsal space and there would be just bands and music all around wouldn't there absolutely right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's inspiring I think as well and people who just listen to music I think always wonder how these things come about collaborations and things like that and it is it's just those moments like you say in your life where you meet people and and things come together and you create great music you know what the weird thing is um, I went back to I teach a little bit at the Royal College of Music um, and um, last before the last lockdown we were allowed to go in and do some one-to-one teaching again um, so that was that was all fine but you know normally when you walk into that place or any kind of music conservatory it's a it's like this absolute cacophony of different sounds you hear trumpets people singing violins playing diddly like drummers playing it's just a it's just a wonderful kind of you know noise thing yeah no completely I that's that's where I studied opera and that's where I did my undergraduate and I completely agree with you you walk in it's opposite the Albert Hall and you walk in and if you just if you were just someone you know taking a wander around the school whenever that's possible and when we people can go back but if you wandered up the stairwell as you say the music changes as you go up and you hear the strings you hear you hear opera, you hear the organs playing at the top as well. And it is, it's true. It's just this cacophony of sound. It's beautiful to listen to. And it is really inspiring, I think, to have that music around us. It is. But one thing that, that lockdown did, did for me is I went into it and, and, the, and the place was something like a museum. You know, there's one lone trumpet to play or something like But, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. It wasn't the same, you know, it, it was a completely different atmosphere. It just shows you the... The, the sort of uh, the value we need to place on on, on the community of musicians that, that all enjoy doing the same thing together, you know. Um, it's just, it's so essential that we get back to all that, you know, however we do it. And God bless the vaccine if that works properly. 
sure. Yeah, exactly. And we will. We'll be back there one day. Definitely. Definitely. Well, listen, all that leaves is for me to now make a suggestion for you, which is the bit, this is the part of the podcast I get really nervous about, um, but you get to relax and enjoy. So I'm going to make a song suggestion for you. Um, I've chosen a an original track by Jacob Collier, but just because he's an English musician, he incorporates so many different musical genres, which I feel like we've talked about a lot today. Um, his harmonization is incredible. And for people who don't know uh, about, I don't know, nine or 10 years ago, he became, he went viral on YouTube basically. And his version of Stevie Wonder's Don't You Worry About a Thing just went crazy. And people were astounded by this guy who was like a one man band and, you know, the way that he, but, but for me, this track I've chosen is, it's one that's only online. You can find it on YouTube and it's a live version and he plays the piano. And I just feel like he plays chords that are unexpected every time and that for me is so special with music it's not what you expect to hear and his voice is really unique and it's not necessarily a voice that you might go oh what an amazing voice but actually there's something about it that's that's really beautiful and, and warming yeah and I just thought this would be a really nice song to finish Great. our chat with he's, a, he's an absolute genius this guy he is an absolute genius I agree and he's only he's only 26 yeah, as well <laughs> But um, yeah, let's. Let's um, let's have a listen to Jacob Collier's song. It's called "Make Me Cry." Here we go. I don't know why. Why do the stars? No, 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 we're in safe hands. He's a genius. You know, you know the another great thing about him is that you can sing in quarter tones and microtones. You know that. Really? Yeah. If you go into some of the things he's done on YouTube, he actually can sing microtonally. It's it's, it's scary. Which, yeah, for people who who don't know, like that's something that, yeah, you'd have to, you basically you have to be so incredibly accurate with your tuning that you're able to sort of find a note within a note, right? You know, you're able yeah, to split right. it. What, what he does when he layers these things up, he deliberately sings some of his harmonies microtonally, so it gives you that completely ethereal effect. It's quite, uh, it's very interesting. It's, it's, it, he explains things very well. He's so clever. It's so annoying. I know. <laughs> I was about to say it is annoying, isn't it? But I mean, amazing to celebrate someone like that as well and say, you know, what an incredible talent. And isn't it exciting that that's where music is going? We're still finding, you know, new things now. Great choice. Thank you very much. I'll enjoy that. Oh, it's a pleasure. Mike, you are an absolute hero of mine. And I know so many people will just love listening to this and it will mean so much to them. It means so much to me. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you. It's, I was so thrilled that you asked me. It's just great. It's, you know, it'd be, it could be great for us to get back working together again. It'd be fabulous. Yeah, we'll you write know. some music in, in, in microtones. Watch out, yeah. Jacob. Oh, yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> thank you, and it's been an absolute delight. It really has. Thank you, Mike. You too. You take care of yourself. Yeah, that's lovely. I really hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and I'd love to hear about your favourite piece of music. So make sure you pop a comment on Apple reviews with your song choice and the story behind it. I'm going to be reading out some of your stories in an upcoming minisode. Also, we've now put our guest song choices in the show notes. So if you want to hear any of their songs again, you can find them there. Thanks so much, guys, and see you next time. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.